Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, We are in a series that we have called Kingdom Without a King, and we've been talking about how we as people want the kingdom of God in our lives and in our world. So we want the peace and prosperity around the world. We want the love and mercy and grace that comes with being part of the kingdom of God. But oftentimes we don't want to submit to the king who would allow that to happen in the first place. So we want kingdom values without actually submitting to God in the first place. And we've been doing this by looking at the stories throughout the Old Testament of the kings of Israel. Uh, We talked about the people of God, how Israel wanted a king. God said, you don't need a king, but they wanted a king because they wanted to be like everybody else. And after that, there was this king named Saul, and he had the kingdom, and he had Israel. He had the, the people of God where he was the king, but he wanted a little more. He wanted his kingdom to be the thing that's most important. So when people started cheering on David, who helped Saul get where he was as a king, he started becoming jealous and actually tried to kill David because Saul wanted the kingdom. He wanted the kingdom for himself. He didn't want to submit or obey. He wanted the kingdom values, love, mercy, grace, peace, and prosperity. He wanted these things without actually having to submit to God. And all throughout the story of the people of God, we see this. But we see this even with David. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is David has these things that happen to him as well. Because there are things that God tells David to do, and David just decides not to do it. In 2003, there was a fire. uh, It's kind of called kind of loosely affiliated, termed the Cedar Fire. It was in San Diego County, California. It was one of the largest wildfires in the history of our country, although we've had a lot over the past 20 years. It is the third largest in the history of the state of California. It swept through all of Southern California. Um, It was the third deadliest fire in the history of California. And it, it started in a rather strange way. It started with a hunter. A hunter got lost in the woods, and even though there was a very public burn ban, it was one of the driest seasons in the history of California, and the whole state said, you cannot burn any fires at all because of the danger of wildfire. Um, The hunter still had plenty of resources and supplies, but he just was tired of being out in the woods lost. And so he said, I'll start a small fire, and that way maybe somebody will see the smoke and they'll come get me, or an airplane or a helicopter would come by, and they'd come and signal somebody to come to me. And so that's what I'll do. And he started the small fire that turned into the third deadliest fire in the history of California, the top ten in the history of our country. And so there was this very public rule that said, we we don't need to start any fires. There will be grave consequences. And, And this guy suffered the consequences. He went to jail because he started the fire. And not only that, when They asked him about it. The authorities asked him about it. He lied about it and said, no, I actually shot an animal and it ricocheted off some metal and started a fire. And and they found that out pretty quickly that it was a lie. And so they actually jailed him and prisoned him for it. But here's the thing. It did way more damage than him just going to jail, right? There was this rule that was set in place, and it was set in place for the protection of the people of California, and he violated it, and he wasn't the only one that faced the consequences of breaking that rule. In fact, thousands of people faced the consequences of him breaking that rule. We have rules in our own house. 
we, have, we tell our kids, you can't use knives. It, it, usually in the kitchen, we're like, you can't use knives unless mom and dad are with you to help you use the knife. You can't turn on the stove unless mom and dad are with you to help you turn on the stove. My kids just like destructive things. I guess that's, they're trying to help in the kitchen, but they like to cut stuff too and like to burn things apparently. But we have this rule because what happens if they break them it could have consequences that not only affect them, affect their brother and sister, could affect our whole house if it gets out of hand. So there are these rules that are set in place. And if they break them, the consequences reach further than just themselves. And this is why these things are set in place in the first place. And David finds this out. David is a king who wants the values of the kingdom of God. He wants the peace and prosperity and the love and the mercy of the kingdom of God, but he doesn't want to listen and obey God in order to get those things, in order to receive those things. He wants his own way. Uh, early on in the history of the people of Israel, it, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but in Deuteron- Deuteronomy there's this passage that says all throughout Israel's history that they're not to, I'm paraphrasing, not to build up an empire. So in other words, they're not supposed to accumulate a whole bunch of wealth in order to go conquer all these other nations. Now they're supposed to enter into the land that God has given them, and there will be some conflict and struggle in that regard. But once they get there, they're not supposed to come and rule all their area with this iron fist that cast everybody else around them out. They're supposed to live in the land that God has given them, and live at peace in the land that God has given them. And then David comes along, and he does this thing that seems odd, and we're going to talk about that in 1 Chronicles 21. So if you're in 1 Chronicles 21, we're going to read the first six verses. It says this, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north and bring me a report so I may know how many people there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my lord the king, do you want to do this? Are they not all your service? Why must you cause Israel to sin? But the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab traveled throughout all Israel to count the people. Then he returned to Jerusalem and reported the number of people to David. There were 1.1 million warriors in all Israel who could handle a sword, 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 and 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census because he was so distressed at what the king had made him do. So David goes to basically his chief officer and says, I want you to take a census. I want you to count how many warriors we have available to us. And Joab says, let's not do this because this will cause Israel to sin. Now we talked earlier about this rule against kind of this, this guy that God gave the people don't build up these empires for yourselves, but there's, there's no real clear reason why this taking of a census is wrong. We might ask, why is it wrong for David as the king to count the number of people that he has at his disposal? That seems like just good sense as a king, right? And the Bible never really tells us why it's wrong, but you can tell. For David to do it and Joab to do it, they both know there's something wrong with this. Joab encourages David, let's not do this, king. Let's, Let's not do this. 
I don't think this is a good idea, but David does it anyway. Now, there's lots of speculation as to why this would be breaking God's law, that this would be a sin for Israel to count the number of people. There are some scholars who say that the only reason you would take a census in that day was two reasons. One, for taxation purposes. You need to know how many people are there, and if you wanted to impose a tax on every single person, then you wanted to get a little bit of money from every single person. And so the tax had to be paid for every single person. If you're familiar with the birth story of Jesus later on in the New Testament, the Caesar issues this decree that all the world is going to be taxed. And so to do that, he issues a census, which means everybody has to go back to their hometown and basically register as I am one person. And so this is a common reason that people would take a census. And the reason they would do that is to build up wealth for themselves in order to spread the empire out further, to conquer more lands, to conquer more territories. And so David could have been taking a census in order to tax the people. There are other people who say that he was taking a census because you were uh, getting prepared for war. So that was the other reason you would take a census. And you would count all of your soldiers and all the people who even weren't soldiers but who were of military age in order for you to attack other people, other countries, other nations. So, again, he might have been taking the census in order to prepare for war, to go and attack other people, to build the nation up further, to spread the empire in order to build his own kingdom. At the very least, it says at the beginning that, like, Satan talked to Israel. Satan rose up against Israel and, and caused David to take a census. And it seems like a good idea not to listen to Satan, right? Just to be like, you know what, I'm not going to do that. There's, there's tons of reasons why David taking a census might have been wrong. But here's, here's the thing that we know for sure. Is that David knows it's wrong. Joab his chief advisor knows it's wrong, and David says, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to move forward, and I'm going to do what I want to do in order to build my kingdom, in order to do what I want to do. I don't care. I don't care about the right or wrong of it. I just want to do it, so I'm going to do it. And when we talk about a kingdom without a king, this is what we want. There are lots of us in this world who would say, I think all of us would probably say, we want world peace, but we don't want to forgive the people who have wronged us. There are lots of us who would say, we want an end to poverty, and we want an end to world hunger, but we don't want to give up our smartphone, or our Netflix subscription, or our fourth bedroom, or whatever it is. We want the, an end to these things, but we don't want to make the sacrifices that it would take in order for that to happen. There are some of us who would say we want to end to like, sexual harassment and abuse, but we don't want to deal with our own unhealthy sexual behaviors. There are lots of us who would say, we want to grow spiritually, but we're not willing to do the dirty work of confession and repentance and prayer in order for us to grow spiritually. We say we want all of these things in the world. We want the kingdom values. We want the peace and prosperity that God brings, but we don't want to submit and actually listen. And this is what David wants. He wants to be the king. He wants to experience the fruits of overseeing an entire kingdom, but he doesn't want to submit to God in order to do that. Now, I'm not talking about people who are like searching or trying to figure out what they believe about God, because there are a lot of us in this room 
who are in different places on our spiritual journey, and we don't know exactly what we believe about God. And if you're in that place, we hope this has been a place of welcome and belonging for you, and uh, we want to encourage you in your journey. Uh, But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who, when they're faced with an opportunity and they're faced with a choice, and they know that one choice is right and one choice is wrong, we pick the wrong one because we want to do the wrong thing. We don't care about the consequences. As we said before, David knows, and it doesn't say why. We, we can speculate, but we don't know exactly why it's wrong for David to count the number of warriors he has at his disposal. But we know it's wrong, and David knows it's wrong, and he's advised against it. But he says, I don't care. I don't care what God says. I just want what I want. So do it. And this is where we get in trouble. We don't think about the consequences of disobedience. We don't think about the consequences of walking away from what God wants for our life. We don't think about it because sometimes whatever it is that we want in our life, we just want it so bad that we don't care about the consequences. We just want to go do what we want to do. But the problem with David is that his sin doesn't just affect him. It affects his whole, all of his people. It affects his kingdom. And that's in verse 7 through 17. God was very displeased with the census, and he punished Israel for it. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my, my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and said, These are the choices the Lord has given you. You may choose three years of famine, three months of destruction by the sword of your enemies, or three days of severe plague as the angel of the Lord brings devastation throughout the land of Israel. Decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 people died as a result. And God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem, but just as the angel was preparing to destroy it, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop, that is enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Arhanua, the Jebusite. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with his sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. So David and the leaders of Israel put on burlap to show their deep distress and fell face down on the ground. And David said to God, I am the one who called for the census. I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? O Lord my God, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people." So after David does this thing that he knows is wrong, we get this violent image of God that we don't really like. Uh, This disaster falls upon David. David gets his choice, but his people are going to suffer no matter what. And so David chooses the the shortest of the three, basically, the three days of plague, and and people die. And so we get this kind of supernatural vision of an angel that's preparing to destroy the city, and David pleads with God, and God relents, and Again, this might be a question where we go, what is going on here? I, I don't under, or, or why does all this happen? This doesn't, when, when I read about some of the, the love and mercy and grace of God, this doesn't seem to, to line up. 
And so we, we think about the why, but again, this passage isn't talking so much about the why. It didn't talk about why it's wrong for David to take a census. It just talks about what happens when we choose our own way. And here's what happens when David chooses his own way. His people suffer. David pleads with God at the end. He said, they didn't do anything, and they're suffering the consequences of my own personal sin. I wanted the kingdom without obedience. I wanted the kingdom without submitting to the king, and other people are suffering for it. Please don't let this happen. It doesn't talk too much about the why, but we definitely see the what. What happens when we choose on our own way? Other people suffer. David knows the right thing to do. He doesn't do it. David doesn't lose his kingdom. He's still king. David doesn't lose anybody in his family. David doesn't even get sick. David kind of escapes pretty, pretty easy, even though it's his sin. It's other people that are hurt. There are other people who face a bigger wrath because of David's sin. And we think that if we live in this world where we choose our own way at the expense of other people, that it just affects us, that nobody else is affected. But that never happens when we choose our own way over God's way. Other people are going to get hurt every single time. This is, I don't want to say an exaggerated example, but it's, you know, 70,000 people aren't going to die most of the time because of our own sin, but people are going to get hurt. I have a friend of mine, he's a youth minister in another, another state, and when he came on staff at the church that he came on now, he had this big thing that happened in the first couple months there. Um, one of the pastors on staff had an affair with another member of the staff. Both of them were married, and the, I mean, he'd only been there a couple months, and the fallout, as you can imagine, was pretty devastating, right? And so... The families kind of had to deal with what was going on. So you have people who are affected by these, these two people uh, in, in this sin. There are the families that are affected, right? But not only that, the church is affected. Uh, my friend, this has been almost four years since this happened. And my friend says the church is still kind of feeling the effects of it. When they go to make hires, they're asking and double-checking and trying to think about what the best thing would be to do. Questions that you wouldn't ask unless you had experienced this before. And not only that, he said a couple months after it happened, he was having coffee with a friend of his who's not a Christian. And the guy said to him, how can you believe, how can what you believe be true if leaders in your own church can behave that way? Now, that may be an unfair criticism, but it means that when two people sin, or when one person sins, that people we don't even know sometimes are affected by our own sin. When we choose our own way, other people are affected. There's another story of David where he does the exact same thing. David sees a woman far off who is not his wife, and he wants to be with her. And because he's king, he can send for her, have her brought to him. And because he's king, she kind of has to do whatever he wants to anyway. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. So now he's like, i got to deal with the consequences of that. And so he has her husband, who's a faithful, loyal servant in David's army, he has her husband killed in the line of duty. 
Because he's serving his king. David does this one thing. He says, I know what God wants, but I don't care. I know what I want. And what I want is bigger than what God's wa- God wants, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. And I don't care who else gets hurt. And guess what? Other people get hurt. When we choose our own way, we will suffer the consequences. We will. But other people will suffer the consequences as well. Our own sin doesn't just affect us. It affects other people. And we've, we've used like a, examples of adultery, right? The story of David, the story of my friend in his church. But it doesn't just have to be that. It, I mean, it can be a lie that you've been holding on for a really long time. It can, it can be an inability to take responsibility for your own actions. It can be unforgiveness that's in your heart that's causing you to think so much about and say, no matter, whenever their name gets brought up, you just have nothing but negative things to say. It can be angerness, bitterness, resentment that just bubbles up and you you can't help but keep it there. It could be greed. It could be any of these things. But when we pursue our own will at the expense of God's will, people are always going to get hurt. It's always going to happen. We cannot shield other people from the consequences of our own sin. And I'm not trying to be this big bummer, downer, right? Because this is something we all struggle with. We all have things in our life that when we look at what God wants and what we want, we will choose what we want. This is a struggle for all of us. This is a struggle for God's people throughout all of human history. This will be a struggle for us for a long time. But we have to at least be aware of the consequences of choosing our own way. Because if we keep choosing our own way, then we'll never experience the kingdom of God. Because we'd rather be the king of our own existence. There is grace and there is mercy and there is forgiveness. And when we we come to God, he can set us free from those things. But it's... It's a battle, and it, it takes some effort. It takes some intentionality to say, I am going to confess these areas of sin in my life. I am going to be honest about the people who have been hurt by the consequences of my own sin. I'm going to go to them and ask for forgiveness. It, it takes work. It takes a willingness to look at our own lives and weed out all the deep, nasty, ugly stuff that's in there and hope God can do something with us. Trust God, that God can do something with us. But we have to be aware of it first. We have to look at the places in our own life where we say, I choose my own way. And we have to ask God to rid us of that. There is forgiveness. There is grace. But we have to be willing to confess it first. And so, uh, before we end our time together, this is what I want us to do. I want us to take a a little short time of confession. And uh, this doesn't mean like you're going to turn to your neighbor and talk about their deep, dark secrets. Uh, But this is a a time for us to reflect on the things that are... When we're talking about this, I have a feeling there's a lot of us in this room that when we talk about the sin in our own life and the consequences and the people we've hurt, we can name those things. If we're real honest about ourselves, I bet 
I mean, there's things in my life I know that as I'm sitting here reading this passage and I'm thinking about this idea, there are people that I've hurt. There are times when I've chosen my own way. And there are times when I still struggle to submit to God and I want my own kingdom. But it starts with a time of being aware of that. And so um, I'm going to give us just a minute or two. Um, we're going to pray together, and, um, but I'm going to ask you, just in the silence, we're going to take a little while to be quiet and still and silent. It might be awkward for some of us. That's okay. Just to start to be aware of the places in our life where we choose our own way. And maybe be aware of the people in our life that we've hurt because of it. And just start with this time of confession. Again, we're not asking you to say it out loud, but I'm asking you to reflect on that and start to ask God to heal you from it. Uh, repent of it. Turn away from it if you need to. Confess it. And, uh, and then when the silence is over, um, I'll pray, and uh, that'll end our time. So if you would, bow your heads, and let's pray um, in a moment of silence for a little while.